Hey again, everybody. John Porteous of the Lovells Township Historical Society here, and you're listening to the Backcast Podcast. Hey, welcome back. Um, well, finally, our last episode of the year, um, <clears throat> special guest, Joe Haywood, a Michigan author, a uh, very talented man and uh, uh, with a variety of interests, uh, and I, I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Uh, stick around on the backside, and we'll uh, set expectations for... Uh, future episodes and uh, have at it from there. So here we go. Hey, Joe, John Porteous and Richard Perry here, and uh, we've got uh, author Joe Haywood with us today for a, uh, a special conversation. Joe, welcome aboard. Thanks, guys. Good to be here, there, or wherever we are in between. I'm not sure. We're, we're possibly everywhere. We're in the cloud. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we're in the we're in the cloud. Our, our 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 atoms are all over the place. Yeah, we've yeah. got electrons bouncing everywhere. The uh, yeah. <laughs> oh goodness. Well, um, so you, you you had a summer up in the UP uh, and had some fun, and, and we'll touch there in a second. But uh, um, first off, why why don't you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? And uh, um, we're excited to talk to you about. Uh, several of your books and uh and just learn a little more about joe sure uh we'll bore him to death but we'll give him a try um i just i just I briefly i grew up as an air force brat lived all over the world all over the u.s i attended 18 schools between first grade and eighth grade and then two high schools in norman oklahoma as a freshman and in Rudyard, michigan for uh, sophomore junior senior and I went from Rudyard High School in the Eastern Upper Peninsula down to Michigan State, graduated from there, went in the Air Force for five years, came out of the Air Force, joined the Upjohn Company, which has since been subsumed by Pfizer. And uh, I worked there for 30 years, uh, retired as uh, Worldwide Vice President for Public Relations, and uh, started, I had actually been being published before I retired from there. And when I left, I just went to full-time writing, and that was around 2000. So I've been out 20 some years. That's awesome. Well, now, <clears throat> and I'm gonna you're gonna test my knowledge because I'm not cheating. I don't have your bibliography in front of me, but was That's it okay? I don't remember it either. We'll just make it up. I'm a fiction oh, writer. Now the listeners will figure it out. That's the best history. <laughs> exactly. If they uh, care. Yeah. <laughs> The uh, so what um, the Brakut, yeah, Dom conspiracy, yeah, um, and I'm I'm gonna goof the other I, one. The Taxi ta- Dancer was my first one. Taxi Dancer, thank you. Yep. Now, were were those all done while you were? Uh, were. Still- I was work. I was fully employed. I was uh, 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 working for Upjohn. Uh, in those days, and then after, but after the Berkut, I got promoted a couple times more, and uh, I had to travel a lot, so I pretty much uh, put my writing into abeyance because I just didn't have the stamina to travel and write. And um, then, uh, uh, as as all that stabilized later on, and I went back to writing, and uh, uh, published uh, uh, the the third book in the. In, uh, in the Domino Conspiracy, and after that, then I was in a band. And then when I got out, I, when I retired, in, I uh, officially left there in 90, I left in 98, 
exactly. Actually, I got an early out, so I was I, I officially it's 2000. But in '99, uh, then I wrote uh, I wrote the Burkut. I'm sorry, the Snowfly. See, I get yeah. all confused on there it we too. Well, and, and the, the Snowfly is a personal favorite of mine. I have a tendency to revisit that every January, just because it's a hell of a story. And I think you mentioned to me at one time, I was expecting some, you know, decade-long, you know, sort of how all these various plot lines and characters weave in and out. And you were telling me that you slammed that out pretty quick, didn't you? Forty-five days. Good oh, Lord. Yeah. I never <laughs> planned to write it. I was working on something else, and I don't even know what the hell that was now, but I was working on something, and... Uh, I was sitting down at my. I was working in the basement in those days. I had my desk and my my computer down there, but I was writing long. I always write longhand in my first drafts. And anyway, as I was writing, I stopped and said, "No, I got something else in my head." So I I wrote what basically is the prologue to the Snowfly, and I thought, "Well, I wonder where did that come from?" And wandered upstairs to get coffee. And my late wife said, "Well, you look kind of what's that look on your face?" I, said, I don't know. I said, "I just wrote something. I don't know what it is." I said, "Just kind of popped out of my head." She said, "Well, what are you going to do with it?" I said, "I think I'll just see where it leads for a while and see what happens." Well, 45 days later, I had the the taxi dancer, and by then I had it all. And I then I typed it all up and I shot it off to my my uh, agent. She says, "What the hell do I do with this?" And I said, "Well, try lions, you know." And she said, "Oh, that's a great idea." So she went she went to lions and. Uh, I met with Nick and uh, Lily Golden was my editor, and the book got published just like that. That's well, wild. It took you to a good place. That's a great book. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. The whole the whole process was great. Yeah, it's I just all the, the negotiation with Nick consisted of sitting in his office going through flies. <laughs> That's perfect. We never talked. We never talked any business whatsoever. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. That's that kind of. Uh, theme seems similar with some other folks that uh, we've spoken with that have had interactions with Nick. It just uh, things just seem to happen. <laughs> he was he was very charming. He's a gentleman and he's a lot of fun to be around. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, the uh, listeners, if you haven't, I mean, it's been out. It's available. You know. Uh, whether it be at the library or at the bookstore or online, I think you can grab all these. And uh, but it, it, that kind of laid the groundwork for uh, a couple of characters that came back and uh, it did. Kind of, kind of the base of your <laughs> everything, the whole Woods Cop series. Yeah, I think if I had not written a snowfly, I probably wouldn't have written a series. Uh, it wouldn't have occurred to me. But in the pr process of writing the snowfly, I created a couple of characters I kind of liked who kind of intrigued me. And arbitrarily, I made one of them uh, later in the story a game warden in the UP. And so after I finished the snowfly, my wife said, well, what are you going to write next? I said, I have no idea. And then I thought, you know... I've always been curious about game wardens. My dad's best friend in uh, Dutchess County in New York State was a game warden, and the reason they made him a game warden is because he had been a he had been the biggest poacher in the county before World War II, and then he went off to the Marines and fought against the uh, Japanese in the Pacific, and he came back, and they made him the game warden. And basically, he just 
kicked the crap out of everybody he ran into in the woods, and all the poaching sort of stopped in Dutchess County for a period of his time on duty. But I didn't know any details about what he actually did, so I called the DNR here and talked to a lieutenant up in Plainwell who was on his way to transferring to Crystal Falls, and it's the way we went. That's awesome. So, um that that particular character is uh, Grady Service, correct? Correct. And Lutitia's Treebone is also in the book. They're Marines of Vietnam when uh, Bowie Rhodes, the uh, protagonist of Snowfly, meets them. And it's yep. in, the, in the books that follow are about those two guys, mainly Grady Service, but Treebone is a uh, uh, primary character as well. He comes up pretty often. Yeah. He does. Now, he, he was kind of a... His character was kind of a uh, big city cop. Uh, yeah, they, well, they both they both were state troopers, and uh, then they both became uh, game wardens. And then uh, Treebone, he, his wife didn't care much for being uh, being in the UP and being a game warden, so he ended up going to Detroit Metro and became a cop in, in, in Metropolitan Police Department and rose up to be a lieutenant in the Vice Department. And they stayed close friends all those years. They had been in Vietnam together as Marines. Right. They're, well, they're the one that uh, turned your uh, main character in the Snowfly, uh, Bowie, uh, onto the uh, rare and undisco- undiscovered uh, animal or whatever. Yeah, and if you ask me what it is, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> That's why I'm struggling. <laughs> no, I think the only thing I remember is when he first meets him, he's fishing in the minefield, and they're kind of watching him and figure, this is kind of interesting. I wonder how this is going to turn out. <laughs> let's, let's pull up a chair and eat some popcorn, and let's see how it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, in, in, in developing the Grady character over the years, you uh, – uh, kind of had a habit of uh, riding round and about with uh, real COs. Is that correct? Yeah, I, well, I from the, because I started out with a fellow named Tom Corshane, who ended up as a uh, assistant chief uh, of the department before he retired. Uh, he got me into the trucks with his men and women and his officers, so that I could see how things were done first, you know, firsthand. And that that allowed uh, me to to build some apparent authenticity into the experience of of, of, of what they do day to day. And I've been fortunate over those years to have had like six. I think I've had 62 individual partners over those years, and like 150 in group groups of various kinds. And they have been really, really. Uh, they've taken me undercover on on deals, and I, I've done all kinds of things with them. They treat me like one of themselves, and which is pretty cool. But they, more importantly, when we're doing things, I can say to them as we're growing along towards something, "What are you thinking right now? What factors are you measuring? What, what you know? What are your concerns?" And they open right up to me and tell me what they're thinking, so I can kind of begin to understand. Um, uh, what the process is for them entering into various kinds of circumstances, and that's invaluable, I think, in trying to create a, a fictional character in a in a real, uh, real setting. Well, they yeah. should be pretty happy with you. You, you uh, from uh, they get you treated pretty kindly. I, they get a lot of good press out of it. I think they've been pretty pretty. They've been very very supportive of me, uh, um, and. Uh, 
just they, they and I've had lucky. I've had some great partners, and they've never they've never pushed me towards certain partners. I they've given me the ability to say, hey, I want to ride with so and so, him or her, and and that's the way it happens. I I call them up, and then they they go up through their line to let their sergeant and lieutenants know I'm going to be doing it, and and so it's been really a remarkable access for me. I'm kind of like a lifelong embed with them now. That's kind of okay. a joke with them too. And I always have a speech. I always have a speech with them as we start to go into something, especially if we're going, if we're being called in to back something up or something nasty. I'll say, if you feel uncomfortable having me along, you just stop this truck and dump my ass on the side of the road. And when you're done, come back here and fetch me, because you'll know where I am and I won't get lost. And, uh, but in 20 years, they've had several hundred patrols. They've never done that, so that's uh, I'm I'm pleased to say that I guess. I guess, it, you know, things could get a little hanky there. Uh, I should think some of those uh, real-life adventures uh, might rival uh, kind of the domestic dangers of a you know, urban uh, officer. Yeah, and they and they do. I can, I can remember a night one time we were actually sitting on a field where we had reports of a couple of years of people shooting the night before the deer season. And uh, in the nearby town, we heard a, a, an officer call for assistance, a female officer. And my partner said, my God, I've known her for four or five years, and I've never heard her voice like that. So we broke our surveillance and, and made a run for her. By the time we got there, she had this guy outside the house on the sidewalk. He's about six foot five. She's about five foot five. Snot <laughs> running all out of both of them. She pepper sprayed him and pepper sprayed herself and wrestled the guy outside. She got called in for a uh, domestic, and he, the guy was beating on his girlfriend, and so when she walked in the door, the guy decided he'd beat on her instead, and so they went at it, and finally she got him outside and out on the sidewalk, and that's that's when we arrived, and that's the scene that we found, and blood and snot, and it was something else. <laughs> that had to be a little different. Yep, and then darkness always adds to it. You know, it seems like all the good stuff always happens after after the sun goes down. Yeah. Or, or the bad stuff, the best. Or the writers, the good stuff. And if it's your, I mean, most most cops, they hate going into domestics. But you know, the thing I've learned about conservation officers is that we're so short of police in, in this state, in a lot of states, that they end up doing general policing as well. They're empowered for it. They're trained for it. And so counties come to depend on having conservation officers on the road, oftentimes. We'll be the only people out at night after a certain time. There's no backup around us, but we provide backup for others all the time. You know, we we used to tell the girls when they were in, in school, I said, you know, listen, we want you home at a reasonable hour because, you know, except for having a baby, not much happens good past midnight. So That's uh, true. That's true, true, and good advice. Yeah. Well, so... Well, talk to our listeners, and I guess in, in, we've been kind of doing this inside level, but uh, for somebody that may not be familiar with your work, you want to kind of uh, expand on a little bit, and I, I don't well, know how best yeah. paint for you, as it were. I, I, I don't know how to, how to explain it, except to say... Um, the first three books I wrote were uh, kind of different than the last 20-some that I've written. first three were about Vietnam, and then there was a book about the end of the very end of World War II in Berlin. 
And then there was a book about uh, Kennedy and Khrushchev meeting in Vienna in 1961, which was the year that I graduated from high school. And then there have been uh, a bunch more books in STEM, which is a combination of uh, collections of short stories and about, I don't know, 16 or 17 novels, uh, some of which are, uh, I guess 11 of them are in this uh, Woods Cop series, which is about a contemporary conservation officer in the state of Michigan. And then there are three more in a, another series called a Batcat series, which is about a conservation officer in the Keweenaw Peninsula in the period 1910 to 1920-ish, which is a very interesting time. Well, uh, the, the hallmark of that character, uh, and I guess of the CEOs of the time, was, uh, is it the red coat? Or the red, no, no. Mixing that up. Yeah. I thought that they, didn't they have a... Something that See, was, you're, you're thinking, no, you're thinking about the uh, uh, horse blanket. There you go. Heavy wool coats that they wear. You call them horse blankets. Thank you. That's that's what and, I was. And they, and they wore those. They wore those on into actually the '60s, I believe. I know. I think those are finally phased out in the in the officers who I knew who worked in the '50s and '60s were still wearing them then. So probably in the '70s they were gone. And I may be wrong about that, but some, it was a long time deal, and they call, they referred to him as, as uh, in that way. It's an interesting term. Yeah. In fact, well, probably pretty damn warm, you know. Uh, fight off. It's it's not exactly Florida up there in the winter. No, no, it's not. I mean, I mean, any place in outdoor Michigan is pretty damn cold in winter time. But of course, they you know. You get when we started looking back in history, look at the difference in equipment that people had for whatever they did outdoors, whether they were hunters or fishermen in, in, in 1910 or now. Uh, there's no comparison. And so back then, they were a lot more miserable, but they were also a lot tougher because I think they were used to being miserable, whereas we're kind of pampered with indoor plumbing and heat and, you know, in modern uh, clothing, which is uh, much more protective of us and much more comfortable. And so I think that that's sort of interesting. My wife just handed me a note said, was there something about red coats and beyond beyond? I think there were some red hats in there that they, that they got from the Russians and they wore red suits to make them look like they were uh, 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 Bolsheviks, but uh, I, not anything than in the, uh, in the, uh, in the other okay. in the, in the states, she's got a good memory. <laughs> she's she's doing better than me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, me too. I tell you, something happens. We after you get so many so many books written and so many words in print. I know some some authors claim they can remember every line they ever wrote. I'm not one of those. I can remember every place I ever caught a trout, and I can tell you what size it was and what I probably what I caught it on. But no, I can't remember every line I ever wrote and. I one time got challenged by a guy in a reading. He said to me, you know, on page 500, I'm just I'm picking a, a number here, like 562, you had this German tank, the T, such and such, operating. He said, I think that actually didn't come online until six weeks after that. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I don't know how to answer this. And I said, thanks a lot. I said, I'll send a note to my editor. We'll make sure we correct that in the yeah. next edition. So, <laughs> yeah, but- yep. 
people, you as an author, you have to understand people really read stuff closely. So you have to try and get stuff right to the best of your ability. Well, that's. I hear what you're saying because I mean, reading is is my primary form of entertainment. I, you know, TV's fine for live sports, but otherwise I'm in front of a book. And uh, to that end, I'll just uh, shamelessly say thank you for a bunch of hours of very entertaining and uh, enjoyable reading. Well, if you had as much fun reading them as I have writing them and, and, and learning the things to write them, then it's a it's a good deal for everybody, and I'm happy. Well, it, it, it does work that way because, you know, my wife will every once in a while look out over at me and she goes, what are you giggling about? And I say, oh, it's just this book. It's kind of fun. That's, you know, then sometimes she'll read it and giggle too, so it works out pretty good. I'm glad to hear she reads it too. I had I've it's been really interesting that the I have probably the most avid fans I have for the for the Woodscop are, are, are women readers. No kidding. Yeah, which is really amazing. And and whenever we go any place, uh, uh, all the women have read these things and it's women who write me about write send me notes and you know, all that kind of stuff and make calls. I when I when we first started this series, uh I would get phone calls at four o'clock in the morning and Oh yeah, hello. What? This is so and so, and we're up in so and so in the UP, and we found the mosquito wilderness. You yeah. have? Yeah. Where is it? And so they tell me, I said, Nope, you're not there. And they go, Damn, and hang up. <laughs> Four o'clock in the morning, my wife would say, Who was that? I said, Somebody else that just found the mosquito wilderness. <laughs> people, people are driving all over the UP. So I know people who told me that they try to drive to every single place where there's a scene in the book that they can find, so they can see what it looks like. It's kind of like one of those Hemingway treasure hunts. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a culty thing, I think. Uh, yeah. Well, while I enjoy your writing greatly, I'm, you're probably not going to be getting any calls from me uh, out on a treasure hunt or anything. So, thank yeah. God. <laughs> This, is, this, will take, this should take care of us right here. Exactly, exactly. Right. The um, One of the good things about your books, or one of the things I enjoy, is I'm reading through them, and, uh, like, one of them you talk about the, the uh, I don't know what the hell, the, the Bear uh, Deli in Gaylord. You stop in there or the Ram Center, and, I, you know, I'm reading along, and I say, oh, shit, I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, think, been, I mean, I don't, I don't put a place in the book unless I've been there. In most of the places I write about, probably lots of people have been there. Yeah. And so I get around, and it's been really, it's been fortunate to be able to work with uh, conservation officers because those those people they see all these out of the way places, and uh, that uh, opens all kinds of doors and gates to me to go back on my own and look around and do things. I was with an officer one time in Gogibbet County, and. Right at dark, we're sitting on a truck, and so we see a light coming out of the woods, and uh, so we stand by, and the guy steps out and say, he's carrying a rifle. Is that rifle loaded? Yes, it is. Okay, we'll step over here. So we unload the rifle, and and uh, my partner says, you go schmooze the guy while I run, his, you know, run him on the computer and stuff, and he does. And while he's doing it, the guy says, I know you. I said, no, you don't know me. He says, yes, I know you. I said, no, you don't know me. We've never met. And at any rate, then my partner comes back, and he, he, he says to the guy, why, you know, you're supposed, your gun's supposed to be unloaded when you're coming out at night with your light. Oh, I guess I didn't know that. 
Well, why why did you, why did you have it loaded? Well, in case I ran across a coyote. A coyote? Well, if you're going to run across anything, you're going to run across a wolf here, not a coyote where we are. And the guy <laughs> says, well, you know, I just scared. And he says, yeah, well, so he wrote him a ticket for, for having a loaded gun with a light, uh, which didn't make him too happy. But in the middle of all that, he said to me, he says, I know who you are. You're that guy that writes those Grady service books. I saw you speak at Holden Lake. Uh, there you go. And I said to him, I told you I'd get around. He said, son of a bitch, you sure do. <laughs> <laughs> well, in terms of getting around and other platforms, I guess, uh, uh, there's there's a poetry angle to you as well, isn't there? And that and then the... Uh, seem to recall some stories about the Trout Bum Barbecue. Yeah, I, I used to belong to the, the uh, go to the Trout Bum Barbecue. Steve uh, Southern was a pal of mine, and I was a uh, kind of an unofficial member of the, the, the Fish Heads from St. Louis. I used to go down and fish with those guys about every other year. And I used to uh, uh, write uh, poems and read poems at the... Uh, Trout Bum Barbecue uh, Fest that we had up in Grayling, which were a lot of fun. Um, and so I, I've always been kind of I've always been kind of a shirt-tailed poet. Um, I'm, I'm not a very serious poet, but I'm, I have a great lumber of language, and I love the kind of music of poetry. And so I've always played with it. In fact, my wife and I kept a uh, a journal of our time in the in uh, uh, Menominee County this summer called the Book of Kells, and they are all haikus, but we don't, you, we don't, haiku is a Japanese, simple Japanese poetry form, but you have to, it has to be about nature, observations of nature. Well, we use that short form to actually include ourselves into it, to make it autobiographical, so we write haikus and tankas, and so we wrote like uh, almost 300 of them to, as a way of journaling our summer. Now, what we're going to do with that, we don't know, but so we both play with play with poetry, and we're all also both painters. We're probably more serious painters than anything else. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, in fact, one, a lot of the authors that I rode with, I always, uh, in return, I, I usually give them a book uh, for having put up with me, and then some of them that I've ridden with many, many times, I usually end up doing some sort of a painting feature them for them to have, and. There's quite a few of those hanging around the state in the, in the homes of game wardens. That's pretty cool. That's pretty really cool. Well, just a point of interest, I did. I, I looked at your website and went through uh, uh, your poetry, and some of it's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty to the point. So it's, if anybody's interested in it, they can find it on your website. Yeah. That, that website, by the way, is a dead website, but the stuff is still there, and you can still reach me through email. But it's a long story. I, the Russians and, and the Ukrainians and all kinds of other bad actors were playing games on the, on the host of that thing, and so finally just kind of shut it down. So you can get to it, and it won't infect you, but I can't use it anymore. And I've been unable to uh, reconstruct another blog, which which I will do at some point. Well, that's still there, and it's available. I looked at it uh, not too long ago, and it's, it's some entertaining thing out there. Kind of like RT issue with his <laughs> Yeah, I think people have a lot of fun going through. There's a lot of stuff in there, uh, a lot of photos and uh, just a whole lot of everything. It, it's, a, it's a very fun, eclectic uh, look into you. I think, you know, it, it it's, it's a little more than stringing a couple of 
you know, paragraphs together on the back of a book jacket. It's uh, kind of a nice way for you to share you with others. I think it's a way to share to share the life that I'm able to lead as as a writer, which is, uh, as you know, is a pretty special thing. You know, it's a, you know, it's <laughs> to Richard's earlier comment. It's you you do a very nice job of stringing sentences together, and you it's clear that you enjoy the language and that you're able to effectively communicate that enjoyment in an entertaining way. Yeah, I, it's uh, every. I think every book is a challenge, and uh, I was trained as a, as a journalist at Michigan State. And one of the reasons I was I was uh, accepted at all the top journalism schools in the country, but one of the reasons I picked Michigan State was that the reputation was that if you can't write from there, you can't graduate. So any potential employer would know that if you're an MSU journalism grad, you could write, so they weren't going to have to do any sort of instructive work and close editing to hold on to you, you know, to get you going in a hurry. Right. And I think that's, that has served me very well in my fictional career. Uh, it, it would serve, uh, I think, others in the, in the modern contemporary sense to remember that there is a, a pretty distinct line between journalism and reporting and editorialism. And uh, I think that's true, but it also depends on when you grow up, doesn't it? I mean, it, it, uh, well, like, of course, we're, journalism is dying out, and we, we can't confuse television entertainment programs. Uh, those are the, the essentially talking editorial pages that we right, have at right. night. That's what the entertainment is. It's all opinion crap. Uh, as for reporters, they're trained differently now. And of course, we went from the old time stuff that I had many, many years ago, graduating from state in '65, uh, to the new whole new journalism Tom Wolf thing. And I think what we see now is kind of a blend of Tom Wolf new journalism, where the where the reporter is part of the news story, even if it's a news story, as opposed to a feature story and some blended Disney and other kind of odd factors. I think that's where we are now, and I think that's part of the confusion in between what's fact and what's fiction. That's an interesting that's observation, that, that Wolf and Hunter Thompson type. Right. The reporter is the story. Is, it, 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 I, 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 th I like it, and, and I've always liked both those authors, but um, I'm not Me sure. Too. I'm not sure it should be... Okay, that's everybody's style, <laughs> you know. It, it, no, I don't think it should be everybody's style either. And I think the reason it worked for those two guys is that it was it was who they were. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that's ultimately that's what your style is, who you are, whether you whether you mean it to be or not, whether you think you're artificially creating a style. Whenever you put words on paper, you there is a style there. You may not be aware of what it is, but if it if it has any sort of uh, um, aura around it, people will pick up on it. I have people tell me, do we know it's your stuff as soon as we start reading it? And that's, that's interesting here. I may not recognize it, but others do. And that, that's kind of the definition of the style, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, well tell us, um, you, you do all this riding around and about and the writing and everything. Uh, I'm trust that you still uh, find time to uh, 
get a fly out on the water every once in a while. Yes, do. I do. Did not do much this summer because I had so so much work going and we're having such uh, technological problems up there. So I only really ended up fishing about a week this summer. Oh, uh, not much at all. But And we were living, and we were, we were in a period where there was low water, and... Uh, so a lot of the uh, uh, a lot of the smaller streams and little rivers that I prefer were were pretty dry and hard to fish. And I don't know how much you know about uh, Western UP uh, streams, but they're pretty damn rocky. And when the water goes out of them, it's almost impossible to walk them. It's almost impossible to wade them anyhow uh, because of the crap on the bottom. But uh, you're just you're just fishing pockets by then and. Uh, the water's starting to warm up, and I, I just don't don't care yeah. to do that. No, I'm with you there. Uh, we had we had some good fun not this past summer, but the summer before. My youngest son-in-law and I uh, spent a few days up in the Western UP, uh, and it was a blast. But you're right; it's 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 a, it, compared to our type of you know river that we have locally, and while similar and, you know, containing, you know, the same type of fish, it's definitely a different uh, riverbed. It's very, yeah, it's very, very different. And uh, it's not hospitable in a lot of cases. In a lot of spots, um, there's some pretty fishable places near to where you can park your vehicle, but most rivers in the UP to really get the good fishing you've got to you've got to hump it a, a you know a few miles into into stuff and then hump your way back out so you got to kind of carefully plan uh your your whole day as to when you start and all that kind of stuff so it takes a lot of energy and the older we get uh sometimes the less energy we have although my 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 best friend and uh main fishing partner for the last 35 years He's 88, and he turned 88 this fall while he was up with us, and he came up for a week of fishing. And last summer we were in a place for six months. He's there for two months, and he thinks nothing of walking five miles in and five miles out at you know at then 87, now 88. So well, I hope at that I, age I can still do that. I, I was just <laughs> going to say the same thing. Definitely yeah. hangs in there. I, I, he's, I, a, I, he's an amazing guy, I'll tell you. I will hope for that to occur in our life as well, then. Yep. There's always hope, as long as we keep moving. Exactly. So at any rate, the answer to your question, yes, I'm still able to get out of fly, but uh, um, fly fishing up in the UP is very different than fishing the Osabo or any parts of the Osabo or the Manistee or uh, it's, it's a different, or the Black or any of those. It's different. Uh, it's uh, You've got to be a much better ca- caster, uh, you got to know more about wet flies, really, to have any effect. And uh, you just got to kind of really learn. Reading the water is pretty similar, but uh, finding a place where you to match your skills with a fly rod uh, can be kind of challenging sometimes. I hear what you're saying. It's uh, yeah. and the fish, the fish, contrary to popular belief, are are can be pretty picky too. They're not. I know people say, well, it's easy to catch a UP fish. Well, I don't know where you're fishing, but where I fish, they, they, they're not that uh, amenable to things. And all we're trying to do is give them a little exercise. Exactly. Exactly. No, it, I found it the same way, Joe. It was uh, really fun fishing, 
it, but really different and and, and very enjoyable. But um, do you chase birds or anything in the fall? Uh, I have it in a few years. I, st- I usually take a shotgun north with me, and I might get out once or twice. I, but again, this year I didn't get out at all. Although we had birds all around the house this summer, but I just just never got out. I was once I got once I got this manuscript finished and revised for the for my editor and the publisher Alliance for next September. Uh, I got into writing short stories. I wrote twenty five short stories this summer, and so that kind of took up all my all my time. I can only imagine. Well, uh, you you just kind of alluded to a, a manuscript that's being put forward for next year. Um, are you at liberty to talk about that at all? Or yeah, I'm at liberty. I don't usually talk about them because I don't. I, I usually don't know. I'm, I'm superstitious about stuff without okay. knowing why, which I suppose is the definition of superstition. But uh, it's a different book. It's it's not a, it's not. Fi- well, I don't know. If, I don't know what genre it, it belongs to. I think we talked about this briefly. It's called Limpy's Lexicon. It's basically a dictionary of uh, Limpy Allardyce's uh, uh, sayings and uh, words and vocabulary and thinking. Um, and Limpy, as you know, is a major character in the Woodscott series. He's a, he's a a kind of a maybe reformed poacher who's a pal of the of the main uh, uh, the protagonist, the main character in the in the Woodscott series. And so I've been collecting all of his stuff for 20 years, and decided I'd just put it all together, and I did. And uh, my I shot it to my agent, and she shot it over to Lyons, and they said, "Yeah, we'd love to publish this." Well, I submitted it like 30,000 words, and he said. Can you pump it up to fifty thousand? I said, Oh hell, well, sure, I can do that. So I did. I turned it in at fifty thousand words, but that took me the better part of the summer to to do the revisions and to add that all up. That comes out in September of twenty three, so a year, basically a year from now, nine months from now. Put it on your Christmas list early, guys. <laughs> yeah. I, I I don't know. I I just I don't know. I don't even know how to classify the thing. I just don't. It's not a novel. I tell you, it's not a novel. But there's. But if if people are interested in Limpy Allardyce, uh, it certainly will. Uh, it will shed some light on who and what he is or isn't. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And yeah. it surely will insult some sensitivities because it's very politically incorrect as he is. Well, yeah, he's he's not a. Uh... Uh, well, I'm not going to spoil it and put my spin on it. I, I, we'll encourage our listeners to read and and form their opinions. And uh, but it's it's. We'll, I'll say this: it's worth it. Um, you you do a great job of developing characters. I mean, these two started as adversaries, right? Yes, they did. In fact, they ended up in a fight with uh, service getting shot and the other guy going to prison for seven years. That's yeah. <laughs> it's uh. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a uh, a pretty cool web that you weave that way. <laughs> I think I I have always been a great lover of long books, and long, people just don't a lot of people don't like to read long books, or at least the publishers don't like to publish them. So I think that the 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 replacement for that has become series. So rather than writing one long book. You develop your characters and your stories and the and the uh, world that you're you're uh, creating over a whole series of books over time, 
And I think people are, are quite attracted to that. And uh, you see it done with uh, all sorts of writers at all sorts of different levels of, of writing and fiction and, and nonfiction as well. And so I think it's kind of a modern development. It's not a whole lot different than, if you think about it, if you go back into the 19th century and think about Dickens, um, authors in those days, their stories showed up in newspapers as serials. Right. And there was a period of time in this country, even in the 20th century, where new, where new novels came out as series in newspapers and magazines before they were actually put into book form and, and published that way. So it's kind of an extension of that, I, I think, if you think about it. No, I, I don't disagree. I, you know, got exposed to a lot of that as a as a young reader. Uh, to your point, uh, either teases or entries uh, or whatever you want to call it in magazines uh, that would eventually lead you to the to the hardback. Yep, and it, it often they used to publish uh, chapters out of out of new novels. They still do that from time to time. Mm-hmm. Some famous, some famous uh, big market author who hasn't published in a long time. You'll, suddenly, you'll see uh, uh, um, a big chunk of that in the New Yorker or somewhere. Exactly. So the practice continues. Yeah, oh, that's fun. That's fun. Well, Joe, I'd be remiss uh, if we let you off the phone before I uh, uh, public ign- publicly acknowledge our friend Karen Harrison for uh, putting us together. Uh, uh, Richard and I are, uh, I think, fortunate enough to call Karen a friend, and uh, I know that uh, y'all knew each other from the Upjohn days. And uh, so, we Karen, did. thank you. <laughs> and uh, we, well, we were hoping she'd she'd be our live audience today, but she had a different obligation. So uh, we'll, well just we say here, here say hi. She's a hell of a great lady, and I was uh, I was. Uh, uh, surprised and happy to learn that she was living up north there uh, after we retired, and uh, we both we both she worked in the legal department. I worked in the PR department. We were right close to each other, so we used to see each other almost every day. Uh, she's a hell of a smart lady and a good lady too. Yep, she's 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 a very good human being, and uh, uh, things around here are a lot better for having her around. Yeah, she's yeah. one of those. She's one of those people who's glue in our culture. You know, she pulls people together. She doesn't push them apart. Right on. Yep. Right on. Well, Joe, thank you. Uh, very entertaining. I'm glad we. If our listeners only do the ping ponging we had to do, but it's, yeah, it's, it's it's been a journey. <laughs> well, and and you know, uh, the good news is it's a a journey well taken and. Uh, much appreciated. So, Joe, thank you. Thank you, and uh, I hope people enjoy it. And uh, I would tell them in terms of uh, uh, the veracity of my work, I get paid to lie for a living, so <laughs> keep that as a grain of salt. That's what a novelist does. We lie for a living. At least we acknowledge it. Hell, Richard and I are sitting here just envious, you know, because we're not, we're not getting any, any remuneration at all for that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, remuneration is only a little bit better if you declare it, so don't worry about it, boys. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, sir. Thanks, guys. Well, there you go. That was huge, huge amount of fun to sit down with Joe. And, uh, again, Karen, thank you for setting things up. Um, 
This is our last episode of the season. Uh, we've tried to stretch it out as far as we can, and we have. And uh, we're grateful for your listenership. Uh, we've got, for those of you that are local or will be in the area, um, starting in late January, uh, we'll start our hot stove series at the Lovells Township Hall. Uh, that's every other Thursday. And uh, I, I'll, I'll just guide you to the website uh, as January gets closer. Uh, you can check things out there. Some of them uh, we will attempt to record and uh, publish in podcast form. Uh, we did that a few years ago during COVID, and uh, hopefully uh, uh, now that everybody will be back together uh, listening to our speakers, we'll have the opportunity to, uh, to put a published product out with that. So there we have it. Uh, that's it for 2022. Thank you all so much. Um, uh, again, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, leave with a call to action. So uh, your call to action is if, if you enjoy us, and uh, uh, we hope you do, uh, consider visiting the website and uh, making a donation to the Historical Society. Uh, we're able to do a lot of neat programs, and we have quite a few fun things planned for this next year uh, in the Museum of Trout Fishing History, we will be celebrating women in fly fishing. On the schoolhouse side, uh, we will be uh, featuring uh, local wildflowers and local bird life. So uh, there's a lot of uh, interactive things that will be happening throughout the summer. So, uh, you know, plan to fill in your calendar as uh, we get things published. So, again, thanks. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas and uh, season's greetings. And we'll talk to you after the next episode. Take care.